Hi! Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talked to Matt Dunstone, skip of Team Manitoba that just won a silver medal at the Briar. So close to getting it done. He shares all about what happened this week in that game and lots more. We'll also talk to Kelly Moore, host of Jets Hockey on CJOB on the Jets' Florida sweep and what they got to do to win in Carolina. That's all coming up on the podcast. As we welcome in the host of Jets Hockey on CJOB, that would be one, Kelly Moore, who over the weekend was witness to two Jets victories in Florida. And Kelly, did you see that coming? Uh, I would be blowing sunshine up your you-know-what if I had told you, yes, I expected the Jets to sweep the Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, the, the, the victory over the Panthers... They had played the night before. The Jets had been able to sit back and watch them. So, you know, perhaps there was a winnable game uh, to be had there. And and Winnipeg just managed to take advantage of it. They let a 4-2 lead get away. You know, they had three two-goal leads in that game, Christian. And, um, you know, I guess you, you take a look at it from one of two sides. You take a look at it from the aspect of Florida was hungry. They were at home. They're fighting for their playoff lives, so they showed resiliency or do you point the finger at Winnipeg and say, you know, you guys have to be better in protecting those leads. Uh, but it turned out nice for them because of an incredible uh, display of talent by Mark Shafley on the winning goal. Uh, but I was really impressed with the way that they played last night in Tampa Bay. You know, when you consider they gave up that goal, uh, what was it, 79 seconds into the hockey game, uh, and it wasn't a great goal. Uh, but they're, they were able to stay within their game and uh, certainly overcame uh, adversity uh, that was packaged up into about a five- to six-minute time frame midway through the second period where they had just scored to make it 3-1. And then uh, when Tampa Bay's coach's challenge on the Morgan Barron goal failed, now you've got a power play, you're one for one, and you're thinking, you know, here's a chance to really take this game by the throat. Instead, they give up a shorthanded goal. Then they're two men short for 63 seconds, but they survived that against one of the best power plays in the National Hockey League, Tampa Bay number 2. Uh, and so, you know, it, that game had all kinds of storylines. And the other part of that, too, Christian, of course, was they played without their best skater this season, Josh Morrissey, and managed to survive that. And I remember having conversations with you on our Jets coverage on the sports show. If there was one player Winnipeg could ill afford to uh, play a game without, it would be the guy who wears number 44. Well, and we don't really know, do we, what his prognosis is? No, there's been no timeline uh, set at all. Uh, I don't even know if day-to-day has even been mentioned by uh, Rick Bonus. All we've heard from the head coach of the Jets pertaining to Josh Morrissey was after the game Saturday night when, uh, when Morrissey was categorized as very, very doubtful to play. Sunday in Tampa Bay. But Adam Lowry was also put in that same category. And man, did he gut it out last night. Uh, that was a, a real courageous performance by uh, the veteran center. In the end, though, doesn't it always come down to number 37, where th- this felt like a typical kind of Jets performance to me, Kelly, over the weekend, where you could say they were outchanced and the analytics say both games they were outchanced. They, you, and shots on goal were in the other team's favor both times. You could say what you will about a lot of it, but in the end, Jets had the better goalie, and it was Connor Hellebuck, and he was a big reason why they got four points, was it not? 
Well, and I would argue uh, that especially last night, yeah, Tampa Bay may have had uh, a higher shot volume, uh, but uh, it was the Jets who had a number of grade A chances, including a pair of breakaways uh, in the third period. Now, you could counter that uh, with uh, Tampa Bay hitting three goalposts and a crossbar. Uh, you know, which uh, <laughs> when you're involved in those kind of plays, those would be great A's. But um, I don't know. I, I, I uh, Sorry, but I just subscribe more uh, to the eyeball test. And I thought Connor Hellebuck only had to be the very good goaltender that he is last night in Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, he and, and at the other end, Andre Vasilevsky probably wasn't as good as he would want to be. So Winnipeg took advantage of that. And and then when you you also look back to earlier in the week, you know, people say, well, you know, Tampa Bay just about uh, one of the three goalposts and a crossbar. Well, look at all the great chances the Jets had against Minnesota and San Jose, and those pucks didn't go in. So, you know, things tend to level out over the course of the hockey season. That's why I don't really get too much into the, uh, this is a disaster, the sky is falling when things aren't going well for the hockey club, nor do I... Uh, uh, say that, you know, it's time to start the Stanley Cup parade. These guys are the best things in sliced bread when it's going well because things can change on a dime. Uh, but uh, I didn't mind the way Winnipeg played last night in Tampa Bay. Uh, certainly the night before, uh, they that was uh, winning by the skin of their chinny-chin-chin chin in Florida. Yeah, it was a very chaotic game with so many goals from special teams. That yes. kind of it, it. There was not a lot of rhythm to that game. It was a, a no. wacky game for sure. Yesterday's game was, I think, closer to the kind of game the Jets want to play, especially in the third period, Kelly, where it seems like they really did a pretty good job clamping down the Lightning. Yeah, but they didn't sit back, Christian. That was the one thing. It's you true. know, it. You know, you, you would take a look at the and the shots. Were, I think were fourteen. 10 or something along that line uh, in the third period. Like I say, Winnipeg had some wonderful chances. They had the first best chance to make it 4-2 when Blake Wheeler had that great setup from Nikolai Ehlers and just couldn't quite connect with a puck. But, I mean, if he uh, had been able to shoot that with a little bit of mustard on it, there's no way Vasilevsky would have been able to uh, stop that. At least I don't believe so anyway. So that could have given Winnipeg some real uh, breathing room. But, yeah, I, I don't think it was the case of them circling the wagons or, you know, playing kitty bar the door style hockey in the third period. Uh, they uh, they kept the chances minimal. However, you know, and, and again, this is – this is the, the the slim slim line uh, margin for error rather you know on on monday night you know blake wheeler has that shot go off his stick right to thomas hurdle with a wide open net last night victor hedman gets a pretty good look but he bends the post in half with three seconds to go there's the difference between a win and a loss right there for the winnipeg jets and so we look ahead to tomorrow night and the carolina hurricanes who have been I want to say quietly, just because the Bruins have been so loud, but quietly been the second best team in the NHL for much of the season. They had a crazy game with Winnipeg earlier on where they come from 3-0 down in the final minutes to force overtime, and then Josh Morrissey nets the winner. But this team is very, very hard to play against. And what do you feel like the Jets have to do to get the improbable three-game sweep of the Eastern road trip? Well, first off, 
Christian, I'm going to say that the shots on goal tomorrow night are going to be tilted heavily in Carolina's favor. Uh, Because when you look at uh, their body of work over their 65 games, no team takes more shots on goal than the Carolina Hurricanes. No team allows fewer shots on goal than the Carolina Hurricanes. They average about nine more shots per game uh, than their opponents. So, you know, it's going to be one of those, if the Jets win, they're going to win very, very likely uh, being outshot uh, in the hockey game. And it's been a weird couple of uh, games for for the Hurricanes. In their last five games, Christian, there have been four shutouts. They've had two of them, but they're coming off back-to-back shutout losses. And a team that's pretty good at putting the puck in the net, their average goals per game, they're among the top five or six teams in the league, but uh, they've only managed one goal in their last three games. So maybe there might be a little bit of gripping the stick, but uh, I'm going to go based on the premise that Josh Morrissey isn't going to make this miraculous recovery, and Winnipeg's going to have to try to play the same way that they did against Tampa Bay, and that is don't mess around with the puck in your own zone. You know, they kept it very simple last night. Uh, The first hint of any kind of trouble, they didn't try to make that extra pass to get out of the zone. They just flipped the puck out to center and uh, decided, okay, we'll battle in the neutral zone rather than uh, in our own end. Now, if you ice the puck, that's uh, an entirely different story because the Carolina Hurricanes, in addition to many other things, are one of the best teams at the faceoff dot in the NHL. So if you're having too many draws taken in your own zone, uh, no good can come out of that. So they're going to have to be real smart with how they uh, play, and they're going to have to move that puck fast because, Christian, you know, over the last couple of years, is there a team that we have seen that gets you on you faster on the forecheck than the Carolina Hurricanes and, and just is, is on you all the time to force you to play fast. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a really tough team to play against. And there's incentive for them, too, at this point in the season. They would very much not like to finish second in their division. You'd rather have the wild card team than take on the Rangers in round one. So they're fighting with New Jersey right now at the top of the division. For the Jets, without Josh Morrissey, Dylan Sandberg drew back in. Now he and Stanley both playing. Do you feel like they can hold up without Josh Morrissey? Well, I think they can hold up for a short amount of time. Uh, but it's, it's you know, the, the, the bigger picture. That's where you start to miss uh, your impact players. I mean, Josh Morrissey is averaging 24 minutes of ice time a night, Christian. So, you know, that, that, that's like the Colorado Avalanche trying to get by without Kale McCarr or the San Jose Sharks trying to get by without Eric Carlson or, you know, Tampa Bay. They had to play a few games without Victor Hedman who also uh, logs a, a fair chunk of ice time. So uh, I think they can do it by committee uh, for a couple of games. Uh, and again, until we get clarity on what the timeline is for Josh Morrissey, whether you know he's going to be out for three or four games or whether it's just going to be, well, we'll see if he's good enough to go uh, you know, tomorrow night uh, type of thing. Uh, but if they, if they play a certain way, and and certainly, boy, last night that uh, that Lowry line with Barron and Appleton, they did a great job on the, one of the most dangerous lines in the league. You know, when it stamp uh, stamp goes point and, and Kucherov, I thought they had them frustrated, Christian. I really do. Uh, they weren't able to freewheel and uh, certainly get a lot of good looks in the offensive zone. Um, 
you know, other than the five on three power play, which really even there, they weren't able to create a whole lot off of it. Uh, the, I, I thought Winnipeg did an excellent job in terms of their uh, all over the ice uh, performance. And that's what they're, what the, the forwards are going to have to help more than they have uh, without Josh Morrissey there just to be a, a quick support system uh, to make those short outlet non risk passes uh, so you can get clean exits out of your zone. And and I thought Winnipeg did a pretty good job of that last night. Short sample size as it's only a cup, not even a couple weeks since the trade deadline, but the play of Nemesnikov and Niederreiter, how would you grade their additions to the team so far? Well, I did, I did my Jets report on that uh, earlier today, Christian. And, uh, you know, other than maybe Bobby Orloff, in Boston, uh, I don't know that there are any other players around the National Hockey League that were trade acquisitions that have had a greater impact uh, than uh, certainly what Nino Niederreiter and, and Vlad Nemesnikov have contributed to Winnipeg. And, you know, some of those teams, uh, you know, were rolling right along. You know, I mean, New Jersey picked up Timo Meyer not for the here and now, uh, but, you know, also looking ahead to a tough slug it out playoff series, whether it's, uh, you know, against the New York Rangers or whether it's against the Carolina Hurricanes, depending on on how things go. Uh, but when you look at, at, at all the other players, uh, other than Orloff, I mean, Ryan O'Reilly got off to a great start for Toronto, but, you know, he didn't have any points in the five games, the last five games he played before he got hurt. You know, Bo, Bo Horvat had five goals in his first 11 games of the Islanders, but hasn't uh, had anything uh, in the five games since so you know and those are, are guys that have been you know with their hockey clubs a little bit longer but the other byproduct of that too is I, I, I it it seems to me like Nino Niederreiter has really lit a spark in in Mark Shafley I think Shafley over the last three or four games has just just been outstanding and and we've started to see Nikolai Ehlers start to play like the Nikolai Ehlers uh, that was anticipated at the beginning of the year. And I don't think it's coincidental uh, that that's happened with Nemesnikov centering that second line in place of Pierre-Luc Dubois. So uh, to answer your question, yeah, for sure, it's a it's a pretty small body of work. Uh, five games for Nemesnikov and seven for Nino Niederreiter. But boy, they, they have provided, I think, everything and probably more uh, than what uh, Kevin Shoveldayoff was expecting when he gave up a couple of draft picks for them. Yeah, second and a fourth. Not much to give up for the prote- production they've gotten so far, and we'll see yeah. if that continues. Again, small sample size. Just Yeah, time will tell, as we yeah, say. Of yeah. course. You can never judge a trade after 10 days, but it's looking all right so far. Kelly, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this. We'll talk to you on the pregame show tomorrow. Absolutely. As we look back again on the week that was at the Briar in London and Matt Dunstone and his team coming up oh so close against Brad Gushu in the final last night. And we welcome in the silver medal winning skip Matt Dunstone on the show. Matt, thanks for doing this tonight. And uh, where are you right now? Hey, Christian. I uh, I actually just made it back to Kamloops this morning um, about uh, 1030. So it was uh, a pretty quick turnaround. Hopped on a plane about 6 a.m. and... Uh, Made my way back over uh, to the West Coast. How much sleep did you get last night? I, uh, I've I had a nap from about noon to five o'clock this afternoon, <laughs> and that's okay. all I've got for sleep. <laughs> so you didn't sleep last night? No, there was no sleep to be had last night. So 
now that you've had, a, a, I guess I was going to say, now that you've slept on it, you have slept on it just uh, in the in the comfort of your own home. Uh, how do you feel about what happened last night? Yeah, you know, still mm, taking some time to, you know, reflect and um, just sort of understand everything that, that happened. It was a whirlwind of, you know, 24, 48 hours. Um, you know, obviously, obviously super proud of what we went out and did um, and, and how we handled ourselves in big moments. And, I mean, ultimately, we were, we were one shot away from becoming Canadian champions. So looking back on the week, again, you're going to have time to process this and look back on it. I'm asking you when it's pretty fresh, but how would you characterize the week that was for your squad? Yeah, it was a phenomenal week. I mean, we we were pretty dominant for the most part. Um, you know, we we took care of business in the round robin um, and, you know, won that page seeding game. And um, I don't think we gave up a steal all week until that page seeding game there. And, you know, and just continued our, our solid play in, into the playoffs and, um, you know, gave our, gave ourselves a shot at the end. So um, I, I think it was a, it was a really good week. And, um, you know, this, this team we have here is tapping into some uncharted territory that that I don't think any of us realized that this team could get to, um, and it's it's really exciting to be a part of that. How does the game change from round robin at the Briar to the playoffs, including this new seeding round? Yeah, I mean the, the whole setup. Obviously, there's way more people in the stands. Um, usually, you're the the only game on the ice, or there's only one other game on the ice. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit hard to explain, but just the, the intensity, um, the overall production and what curling Canada does for the event too, um, with announcements that in-house announcers, all that sort of stuff, um, a little bit of action going on in between ends in the playoff games and that sort of thing too. Um, you know, it, it, it feels more like, you know, an NHL atmosphere would, um, kind of when you get, when you get to that playoff rounds and, you know, they're, they're the coolest games in curling to be playing. So you've been to the Briar playoffs a few times now. This was the first time with the Buffalo on your back. I talked to you before and after the Viterra Championship just about the fact that we knew you were going and just a matter of what jersey you'd be wearing. To be in the final of the Briar with the Buffalo on your back, was it everything you thought it would be? Yeah, totally. I mean, you just you try to you try to stay as president, present um, as you can in those sort of moments. But, um, you know, if... 20, 20 years ago, you know, a little seven-year-old me would have would have done anything to you know play in a Briar final, um, representing Manitoba. And, um, you know, pretty pretty darn cool. And uh, you know, 12 years later, after Jeff was able to to win in London, that we uh, we were able to come awfully close. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, just looking looking forward to doing it again next year. I mean, um, you know. It, we're going to come back hungrier and, and, you know, just continue to work. I mean, we've, we've proved to ourselves and, and everybody else that we have exactly what it takes to, to go out and finish those games off and, uh, you know, looking forward to doing it next year. Have you taken time to debrief the eight then specifically and, and what happened to lead to that three that Brad got last night? Um, not, not that end specifically. We did, we did sit down after the game in the locker room for a few hours and, and chat everything out. Um, you know, I I have absolutely no regrets whatsoever on on how we played that eight. Then, um, you know, it's three ends left. They've got two hammers. We've got one. Um, you know, tie game like against against a world class team. We got to push a little bit. We got to try and put pressure on. 
um, you know, to, to try and win that game because the odds, as it stood, definitely not in our favor. Um, and, you know, I mean, it just it didn't work out. Um, I have absolutely no regrets because we, we played to win the game. It would have been it would have been pretty easy to, you know, run scared in those sort of moments and, you know, be tied without coming home and just kind of take the easy way out and, and lose a close one. Um, but, you know, to, to take some risks, um, play to win, um, that's that's what I'm proud of. And, and it's hard to do that sort of thing in, in bigger moments. And, I mean, even for us to come back and, and grab the two and nine and, you know, really make him have a have, have a hard draw to, to, to win the Briar in 10. Um, I mean, when you're down three playing nine, that's like a, oh, it's a one in 50 <laughs> to win that sort of game. And, you know, I mean, when it came down to it, uh, we had a pretty difficult shot he had to make to win. Well, that's all you can do, right? As a as a neutral curling fan, you're hoping for the Briar to come down to a draw to the forefoot against the loss, right? And yeah. and that's what you ended up doing. I think you did all you could. And did you feel like in that 10th end, you did all you could? Yeah, totally. I mean, again, great bounce back in the ninth um, just to give ourselves a chance. So it would have been easy to kind of roll over and just get our single. And then at that point, the game's definitely over. Um, but, I mean, for us to go out in, in the 10th end and we make – eight great shots and uh you know had to make him throw his last and, and again like i said it was it was in a pretty tricky spot in the ice and you know brad made it look look quite easy but uh, you know him and his team made made everything look quite easy throughout that entire game when you specifically look at, at brad's story uh, a skip that was so good for so many years he won the, the olympic gold medal at a very young age but didn't get his first briar until 2017 he's got five now uh, in a seven-year span, what lessons can you take from him and apply to your career? Yeah, I mean, just just keep on going. I mean, uh, keep putting yourselves in those sort of moments. I know Brad Brad was in some Briar finals too um, before he won his first one. So I mean, and I would I would imagine that goes for a lot of curlers um, who have won multiple Briars. Um, I mean, you just got to continue to to put yourselves into those sort of moments and you know continue to to win in big games and, and get yourselves into those finals. Cause I mean, the more, the more finals you play in, obviously you're going to win your, your fair share of them. So, um, you know, just, uh, you know, take it, take it all in stride, take it as another experience. And then, um, you know, just work your ass off to get, uh, get yourself into, into another final in the next event. So as far as the rest of the season is concerned, is it grand slams now? And, and what's the focus before summer? Yeah, so it's uh, we've got we've got two Grand Slams left. The Players Championship, um, which is pro- outside of the Briar, probably the biggest event of the year um, for us, um, and that's in just under a month's time. And then after that, we've got Champions Cup, which is the last Grand Slam event um, in Regina. There, um, so we've got lots to play for. Um, it's it's more cash tour stuff now, um, so the the focus is a little bit different, but uh, you know, still still lots to play for. And then uh, you know, looking looking forward to some some time off and getting ready to rock for year two with the squad. I know with curlers, we see them on TV and and they're they're going for the the pinnacle of their sport, but they have jobs too. When do you go back to work? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm fortunate enough. I'm a I'm a mortgage broker, so I'm I'm completely self employed. Um, you know, just the, the flexibility it allows to to be an athlete and you know work at the same time um, is something that's that's very necessary in what we do so um you know i'm i'm able to take a couple days here to you know just uh rest and relax a little bit um and then get get my ducks in a row um you know kind of mid to end of this week okay 
I went to school in London for four years, so I'm I'm pretty familiar with the city. What was it like to to participate in that event in that city this past week? Yeah, a ton of fun. They they put on a great show. Um, we were uh, we were at the Double Tree Hilton there on King Street. Um, so we were about a ten minute walk from the Bud Gardens there. So we were, we were walking to all of our games. The uh, the weather was a little dicey at times. Um, we had we had some interesting nights. It, uh, one night it was snowing and there was lightning, which is not something I've I've ever seen before. Um, but uh, you know the restaurants were all really great. Um, we we found a couple hot spots downtown um, that we stuck with, and you know the, it was it was great seeing all the fans there cheering us on. Um, they they put on a heck of a show. Will you watch Brad Gushu at the Worlds? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's time for Canada to get uh, to get back on top of the podium. I mean, I, I think our our focus needs to change a little bit um, with that sort of thing. Is I mean, yeah, we all try to beat each other up at the Briar and at the Slams and that sort of thing, um, but we need Canada to start succeeding on a more consistent basis again. Um, you know, at, at the at the top of high performance curling, and so absolutely going to be pulling for them and and carry. And I mean, we we the the more podiums we get to get the better. And you know, we all need to push each other to do that. And I mean, uh, may the best man win, and and then wish him all the best at the worlds. So you feel like the current system isn't the best, perhaps, for figuring out the best team to win the worlds for Canada. Oh no, I, I have no issues whatsoever um, with the system. I mean, it's hard to argue with, with who, who's who's winning our championships right now. Um, I mean, there's I think Kerry's ranked number one in the world, and and Brad's ranked a little bit behind, but that's just because he hasn't played much this year. I mean, they're they're world class teams. I mean, you, you look at you look at the final three teams at the Briar on the weekend. It was us, Botcher and, and Gushu. And I mean, between the between those three teams, it's a it's a coin flip. I mean. It, I think you'd be pretty hard-pressed to argue that those aren't your top three Canadian teams. So um, I, I, don't have, I don't have any issues whatsoever with the system. Okay. Uh, and just a, a couple other things before I let you go. The page seeding uh, system, Curling Canada has changed the playoffs a, a number of times just because they've changed how many teams are at the Briar and Scotties the last six or seven years. But do you like that format? No, I'm I'm not a big fan of it. Um, to be honest with you, it's uh, you know I think just it's it's a little opportunistic when when your wins and your losses come. Um, I mean, not carrying over your record in certain scenarios and not ha- not getting to play everybody as well. Um, I mean, in in our scenario, right, we we go eight and zero and we lose um, one game and we're eight and one and suddenly we're in the three four game. And you know we got to win three straight and go eleven and one to win the Briar. <laughs> and if we go ten and two, we're we're out, right? So it, I mean, I mean in that sense, um, I think it needs a little bit of an adjustment. I think we're awfully close. Um, what I would like to see happen personally is is sort of the same thing where you have your top three qualify in each pool, um, but actually play around robin against the other three teams in the other pool, um, and then you get your page format from there. Is is ideally what I would like to see. So like the championship pool they used to do just slightly smaller championship pool. Exactly. Instead of the four teams in each pool, you just have the three. Okay. Cause in the bubble in Calgary in 2021, that's what they did. They did. They had 18 teams. They did the championship pool, but then just had semifinals and final out of that. Would that work yeah. or, or the, the three team championship pool from each would be better than the four teams from each pool. The, uh, the the format they had in the bubble is is my personal favorite to date. So if they if they would if they wanted to go back to that, I would be fully supportive of that for sure. 
Okay. Well, there you go. Matt Dunstone is in full support. So Curling Canada, if you're listening, that's one vote in the favor of that. Uh, Matt, thanks for this. Appreciate you coming on after uh, a, not a lot of sleep. <laughs> I know Manitoba was rooting really hard for you and we'll definitely be rooting for you again when you get the Buffalo on your back once more. No, you betcha. It's uh, good things to come from this team and, uh, you know, excited to get back there. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell. Until we meet again. So long and thanks for all that they should. So sad that they should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect.